Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor, and our favorite way to buy and sell tickets to sporting events, concerts, and whatever else you want to go to. With the SeatGeek mobile app, you can quickly and easily buy tickets with just two taps and have your tickets delivered straight to your phone. Then you enter the event, and if you can't make the event, like if other things come up, maybe a show is on that you need to watch, SeatGeek now lets you transfer tickets to your friends or post your tickets for sale, all from your phone as well. As a special offer to Channel 33 listeners, SeatGeek is giving $20 back off your first purchase with the code BSPN. To get $20 back on your first SeatGeek purchase, download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code BSPN. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch on the Channel 33 podcast feed. My name is Chris Ryan and joining me in the makeshift studio, he'll tell you cash is king every time. My very own Bobby Axelrod, it's Andy Greenwald. Sell. <laughs> Sell. That, Sell. That, that's all. That's your, that's your, no man, cash is king. It's a bull market. Can I say something about this? We're going to talk about the Showtime show Billions, right? Yeah, man. First We're all, also going to talk a little bit about Kanye's new song, which we touched on a couple weeks ago. We got Oscar nominations yeah. to talk about. We're excited. I'm happy to be here. It's good to see you. Hey, you're looking a little vapor trail right now. I'm tired. You know, I come out to L.A. and, you know, no more parties in L.A., but no. definitely some podcasts in L.A. <laughs> and that time change, that'll, that'll bite you. So I might say some kooky stuff. But what I wanted to say before we get into it about this Showtime show Billions. Tate, let's turn off the Clippers, man. I feel like we got. I think. I feel like we got to cut the Clippers off. The TV's on in here. I just. I think I hallucinated. It's loose. It's a loose vibe. But I think I just hallucinated a uh, a, a movie about Jason Sudeikis defeating Hitler. <laughs> Did I make that up? Yeah, he's in this Jesse Owens movie. I, I didn't know that. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Sudeikis is putting in work. Sudeikis has always been putting in work. You just haven't been paying attention. Sudeikis is the MVP of that David Blaine special. <laughs> you remember that one? We talked about that what, before? What, what an honor. I feel like I've brought this up a few times where David Blaine like makes Harrison Ford cry because he like pulls a dollar <laughs> out of an orange. Remember that? I really think I'm tripping balls right now. <laughs> I still think I'm on that JetBlue flight. Listen, all I want to say is this. That you, know, you know, Chris, you and I, we engage with the culture. We talk about the culture, watch it, experience it. Yeah, man. But it takes a very special project to, like, get you through the transitive property of enthusiasm to just basically take on the mantle of an entire field of work or study. A couple of years ago, okay, a decade ago, you went on a Dr. House binge. Yeah, right. And basically thought you could prescribe medicine. <laughs> That's right. That's you right. watched so many episodes. I'm still not welcome in a couple of bars in, in Brooklyn. You would go to people and you would palpate them. Yeah. You would. And you would be like... I would just be like, paddles! You would, you would be like, it's not lupus! <laughs> Like no one asked, but you know that was that was then. Yeah, I saw you today, and you immediately started telling me how to manage my four hundred one k. That's right. You now think that you are a financial advisor from one episode of a new <laughs> Showtime show. You are so fired up about this. And you want to me... know why though? Because so Billions is a new show on Showtime. Yeah, uh, written by uh, uh, one time, you know, former not even one time, multiple times. Yeah, Grantland contributor Brian Koppelman, who also wrote uh, Rounders. Well, this is with his writing buddy David David Levine, and and also Andrew Ross Sorkin of the New York Times, of the New York Times, the the, the Gray Lady. Is that what they, they call it? I want to sell you out and make you feel really weird, <laughs> but no, it that is that is what. And it's uh, so they, this is a new show. It's about stars Damian Lewis, who um, I, I I enjoyed very much in Wolf Hall. <laughs> you mean the best miniseries of the year? And Wolf Hall? Uh, Paul Giamatti. Is this the first time Paul Giamatti's led a television show? 
It seems like something that should have been happening for the last five years. Uh, you're, you clearly weren't a fan of HBO's John Adams. <laughs> Boy, the John Adams, just I like... I definitely forgot about that the whole thing. Here's the thing. Just like in life, John Adams just got sunned by Hamilton. I have to admit that just based on, on the... Like basically, miniseries don't don't phase me. So you you can't you come at me with right. with Olive Kittredge. No, um, <laughs> no. But uh, Jamadi's been Jamadi's been trying to get into the TV game for a minute. Yeah. He had a really cool FX pilot based on the novels of Charles Williford, who's a great Florida crime writer yeah. that I highly recommend. Based on the, the oh, that's Hoke, right Hoke character was going to be who's, called Hoke. who's running that show? Uh, Scott Frank. Oh man! Like that is a show I wish existed. Gosh, can we just go off on a little tangent right here? I feel like that's generally what we do. Yeah. Let's talk a quick second before we get to billions about some shows that never were. Okay. Because when I was watching billions, one thing I was thinking about was <laughs> this show exists and others don't. Um, well, uh, David Milch's Money. Yeah. Which was about a a Murdoch style media clan played by Ian McShane was right was the uh, top line that show. Yeah, that or Brian Cox, I can't remember. I would watch either version or, of that show. like Ray Winstone or, or Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> so what we're saying is a, a perhaps a, 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 a thick-middled Britishman. Yeah. Britisher. But that's like, that that script is actually floating around some someplace in the ether if you happen to come across it. Uh, but this is a show that I, I think they filmed the pilot, but it never went to series. Yeah, but just show, because I, I, I was watching Billions, and I was like, what a ripe, what a, what a ripe subject for like a, a, a multi-season television show right and i was surprised that nobody had done sort of new york power money wall street in a minute and you're gonna tell me that i'm wrong that dirty sexy done. money on abc yeah i guess i mean like the, in this in this style you know what i mean and this is like the way that i have to give them a lot of credit they really just have like they're not like what if there was a guy who got a job at this hedge fund and is coming up through the ranks it's like no it's the most powerful guy on one side and the most powerful guy yes. on the other side and they're just going to go right at it and it's like by the end of the first episode the the battle lines are drawn that's a really good point and and i was i was almost thrown by that at first because yeah. you definitely there's there's definitely some thinking that you need a audience aligned character point of view character to enter you into the world and yeah. the show does not give you that it starts right at the very top um and it's interesting like i feel like making the show at this moment you can maybe get away with that i mean it the the and we're we're, we're doing something which is generally unfair so we're not really judging the show we're talking about the pilot i think uh, i got up to, i think i got six episodes sent to me but i've not watched them all yet so we're just talking about the first one but um you know does the show want us to have sympathy for these billionaire titans of industry or does it want us to you know th throw eggs at them I, it's i feel like the show sometimes can't quite figure that out yeah, yeah. And, and i don't know if that matters but but it definitely is the kind of show that would have been different in 2006 different uh -huh. in 2008 different when money was being made i guess which was 11 or 12 and then and this is the version of it they can make now um here's something i want to clarify as we get into this conversation <laughs> I tweeted a, a, a little, sometimes I like to give people a little insight into our planning, because you and I, we do a lot of planning sure, yeah. for the show. You know, just like, just like Axe, Axelrod, you know, you got to know all the angles. You got to know whether, what's in the warehouse. So I like to give people a peek of what's inside our, sure. our warehouse. Sure. And, you know, I was telling, you hadn't watched it yet, and you were like, what's up with that? And I was like, well, Jamadi gets, gets pee-peed on. Like, that's, <laughs> like, if you're into full water sports yeah. with the dude who played Pigface or whatever his name was in private parts, like... <laughs> This is going to be your jam. If you're if, if you want to, if you ever want to see Rhino from uh, Spider Man, if, 3. if you ever want to see the second president of these United States <laughs> get treated like a common lamppost in Manhattan, this is your show. 
And you just were like, you with the context. It was no, context it was a little bit of cross channel talk. No, but I also wanted to say that you had just been like, I'm all in on this, and you just wrote, you know, you wrote billions. I wrote billions because you were excited. Yeah, because I was down, and I feel like not because of the particular fetish. No, I think people misunderstood <laughs> because here's the thing. I like the show best when it is fully committed to playing up the extremity of its subject matter. Yeah, it's matter. a little trashy. It's a, it's a, it can be a lot trashy. Yeah. It's super over the top. On the much flip like, side, it's like they didn't even wait very long to have Damian Lewis like save a pizzeria to have his Inwood bread. Wait, just, just like hey, Dr. Hollywood over there. What? How long is the right amount of time to wait for Brody from Homeland to save a pizzeria? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, what does Robert McKee say about that? How do you save the cat slash pizzeria? That's the problem. That's why Deadwood got canceled. Because <laughs> they never they were like, God damn it, Milch! What are you going to save Big Sal's slice of heaven? <laughs> Can you imagine that, like, you, in Deadwood, t- in the sets, like, you go past the whorehouse. This guy's go, like, I invented pizza. And it's like Giovanni's, <laughs> yeah. Giovanni's Italian Pyre or whatever. And he's just like, why are no one like my pizza? <laughs> This is why good. do I have cholera? <laughs> That's yeah. a Deadwood joke, guys. Deadwood joke. Um, yeah, it's important. But can I also just say <laughs> the little things? They filmed the show in New York. That pizza looks super bad. Uh, yeah, it's also the interior. It's like that was not like a. I mean, I guess there's probably good pizzerias that that look like that. I don't know. It looked look, like it was in Glendale to look, me. Here, let, let's talk about let's talk about this. I'm going to another tangent for you because okay, you guys, big picture, we're talking about billions, but really, we're just talking about storytelling. We're, we're talking just, about cash is king. We're just wrapping. <laughs> you got to know when to cut bait on a loser. Yeah, stock. You got to know when to get out of there and yes, cut right. your, and make your and limit your losses. That's right. Or when you buy the pizzeria. And another thing that happened, you know, that I like to do when I'm out here in, in California is I like to tell people about my my plane flights, and I'm not really going to do that other than to say I watched Ex Machina. On the way out here. Okay. And yo, this is a tweet from March. That movie is the greatest. That movie is so good. Does that even have like the like the barest relationship? It does. To his here's what I want to okay. say. If people, if you haven't seen this movie, you should see it. It's streaming on Amazon Prime right now for free, and so you have no excuse if you get free shipping on your paper towels. And um, move. You know, it's a great sci-fi movie. Performances are incredible. Um, Year of Oscar Isaac. Now I understand why he was good in all four quadrants this year. He's good in everything. Right. With hair, without hair, with a little bit of hair, with some <laughs> hair. Um, three quarters of the way through this movie, which is about humanity and, and dread and artificial intelligence, just when you think things are about to get super, super gully, there's a dance sequence. Yes. This they, is like reading a vulture post from March. But okay. I know, but I just want to say they start dancing, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. And I was so happy by this uh-huh it made me so happy that there was room in this movie oh for, for a like dance. a little like a curveball yeah for a complete tonal curveball that could have come from no conference no like room full of people like one person in this case alex garland was like no that fits the movie i'm making and i'm sure. doing it i want more dance sequences in 2016 in everything right narrative see. dance sequences exactly right and i think that the thing about billions a pilots are, pilots are impossible. You have to do a hundred things. You have to introduce the characters, the stakes, the world, the yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, if Billions suffers from one. anything in particular, it's people literally saying their name a couple of times. Sure, I mean, right. like, this is what I do for a living. <laughs> this is my job. Yeah. Um, Look, Chuck, I'm just your assistant district attorney of the Southern District. <laughs> You're the state's attorney of the state of New York. Um, but... The, the things that, that Koppelman and Levine do really well, and, you know, the, the movies that, that they're best known for, mm-hmm. 
um, are Rounders, which is a really, really enjoyable movie, and Ocean's uh, 13, 13, right? But the reason I, I was thinking about those movies is that those movies in particular are movies about bluster, right? They're about confidence yes. and bluster and artifice and performance. And, you know, in many ways, like a, a performance of masculinity. There is room here for this to... It doesn't have to be a... Solitary sat- Man. Oh, yeah, that was that was uh, the movie. I think Brian just did that one alone. But yeah. the point being... There is room, plenty of room in this overinflated, hyper-masculine world to play with that sort of yeah. stuff, to play with performance, to have fun with it. These guys are... And, yeah. and I think that I, the version of this show that I am much more into is the version that allows there to be a sense of playfulness and a winking sense of humor about all of it, you know? And, and that's not always present in the pilot because, again, it's a pilot. So yeah. we don't know what the show is going to be. I thought that... Probably something that might have turned people off to to the show is exactly what kind of turned me on to it, which was just the insane amount of jargon. A lot of, uh, lot of, lot of jargon. And for as, for as expository as some of the dialogue was, where it's like, look, we've been married, what, eight years? You know, and it's like... It's kind of <laughs> Let me check that, my sundial. Yeah. Oh, it has been eight years. <laughs> um, there was just an incredibly uh, dense and... And exciting amount of just financial rhetoric and legalese. And I thought it was really exciting to get thrown into the deep end of the pool on that part. And I, those are both worlds that I'm, I'm always kind of excited by. I've really, yeah, I think I really like Margin Call. I like Big Short. Like these, like I think these what kinds about, of. What are you, Boiler Room guy? I like Boiler Room. I, I like Boiler Room. I like movies where people talk fast and, 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 and kind of have like quick minds, you know? Yeah. And I like when there's a profession that's sort of right out of my intellectual reach. Like, I don't really understand what those guys do. No. Probably not supposed to because that's why they get away with what they're doing. Right. And same thing for underground poker. The same thing for uh, bank heists. It's like there's like a degree of expertise and professionalism I, that I can't quite grasp without the screenplay, the screenwriters taking me through. I, I completely agree with that. And I mostly feel the same way. I think that the impediment for me, though, with this show in particular is I don't... Is Giamatti getting pissed on? <laughs> no, I was into that. I've often wanted to see that. Um, I think it really would have improved any number of his other roles. Yeah. Um, have you seen the blooper reel from Straight Outta Compton, by the way? <laughs> it is just like the Bellagio fountains of urine just, <laughs> just flying over, crisscrossing over his head. They're like, oh, Paul. <laughs> Paul loves a piss take. Classic B-reel from, the, um, from G-Man. <laughs> no, but um, I don't care about... I find this world very hard to care about. Like the super, super rich, I don't have the escapist thrill thing of it. And sure. I do, and I, I find it all pretty gross in a lot of ways. And I don't know if the show is going to, like, I hate to, I mean, interrogate that. I guess it will at some point. It's sort of hard to when you're, you know, the guy fighting for the little guy, so to speak, is just as rich as the other one, right? Yeah. Like, like they, they filmed Jamadi's house in in you know it's it's like this mansion in park slope up on eighth avenue that's like not even a place where a human lives it's yeah. just some uh I, I think it's like a i don't know what it's like a, it's a owned brownstone? by a historical it's, it's bigger than a brownstone right anyway um well, it's a historical landmark is what you're saying basically and 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 it's like it's he, where john adams he, was born. It's where john adams was pissed on <laughs> <laughs> it's where so many great men throughout history have just have just been rained down upon just make it rain um but yeah like can we talk about 
the other thing that I thought a lot about watching, and we're talking about it a lot just because, you know, a lot of shows are coming up in the next few weeks, but this was sort of interesting. It was a high profile sure. show. And I think it's going to do pretty well. And I think that it's definitely going to do well for Showtime, which can be a curse because, as we've talked about before, Showtime shows are built not necessarily to be great, quote unquote, right. but they are built to be so well run machines we don't think for that, 17 that years. Bobby Axelrod will be hung in Tehran next year. Can next you season. imagine? Yeah. That would be pretty wild. I do want to talk about Damien Lewis, though, because I was, when I was the other thing I thought when I was watching the show was, you know, TV is such a chaotic business. And they buy this, you know, someone buys a script and then it's like, OK, well, now we want to make it. So who's available? Who can we get? And it's so many moving pieces. And by the time you go into production with a with a with a cast and crew, you hope for the best. Yeah. But very often you don't know what you've got and you certainly don't know how it's going to shake out in terms of chemistry or whatever. And, you know, you say that you have Damian Lewis, Emmy winner Damian Lewis, and you have Paul Giamatti, um, human sponge, uh, in the <laughs> cast for something. Steady. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you're going to get put on the air no matter what. I like Damian Lewis on a lot of things, including Homeland. Um, I don't know if he's right in this part. He is certainly charismatic and likable um, with a, you know, he can play dark, but he's not, he's not a dude from Queens. You know what I mean? And you yeah, just kind neither, of Malin spend... Ackerman's not a a lady from Inwood. No, she is not. And that was probably the even though she says, part. "I'm just a girl from Inwood," like four times. And then at the end, she's like, "That's just how I do it in Inwood." <laughs> of all the things I learned in Inwood, threatening 9/11 widows. That's just that's just how I do it. Can we talk about your favorite scene? <laughs> yeah, it's not. I I don't mean to characterize it as my favorite scene because there's that there's a scene where um, Damian Lewis's character. You mean Bobby Axe Axelrod? Bobby Axe Axelrod is giving away college tuition to uh, the children of his co-workers he, who perished he, in 9-11. He worked, I guess, at like a fictionalized Cantor Fitzgerald. Right. And there was a moment where um, the first kid that they name, the first kid who gets the scholarship yeah. is named Freddie Aquafino. <laughs> Which made me excited because I was pretty sure that Tommy Dasani was going to get the next <laughs> <And then> one. <laughs> Earl Evian was the fifth. But Pete Poland Springs. I was really actually, you were talking about, you know, having a, an Oscar Isaac dance sequence. What would you have done if the next 35 minutes yeah. were just him reading off names in alphabetical order yeah. and handing them envelopes? Well, people have started to fidget more nervously. Slow TV, dog. <laughs> Why not? What's the rectify version of billions? <laughs> you know? Why not? But like you know, what we we're, we're just riffing on this at this point. Like it it it. We, I think we enjoyed it. I think we're curious to see where it goes next, especially if they steer into that that skit of like just having more fun yeah. with it. Well, keep you know, Maggie Siff is. I really like her as an actress. Um, but uh, you know, uh, um, Alan Sepinwall's review of it, I thought was a pretty interesting review and one of those ones that you might want to just like even if whether you want to watch the show or not, like bookmark this piece that he wrote about it because he's pretty good at keeping his finger on the pulse of where Insta-paper things are going. Instapaper it, pocket it, whatever. Are those things that people do? Yeah. I, it's fascinating to me. Um, what's an RSS feed? Seriously, do, do you know what that know? is? No, I've never known what that is. Well, I'll, I'll explain it later. Do you think, what about slow podcasting? <laughs> what if you just explained it to me for I the next 20 we're minutes? we're investigating that tonight. We are. Um, no, he was just basically saying that like, I think he used Stockholm Syndrome as an example for a show like this, which is that in... <sighs> there's so much TV out there and so much of it is so competently made and there's so many good performances that it's possible to immerse yourself in almost anything and begin to like it, basically. He wasn't saying he didn't like it. He was just, the sense I got was that there are, you know, a dozen other things he probably would rather watch. But after watching six episodes of this, he was like, yeah, I'm down, sure. I know it's been a while since you've been 
like writing about Asleep. television for on a weekly basis. But yeah. I, I want to share one of my a personal experience of my own over oh, the last few weeks and nice see if it matches you. up with you. I feel like I have. I don't know whether I would pin this to the end of what was like the last sort of prestige show that ended. I guess it was really Mr. Robot. I can't remember when it was like that last show that we talked about at Grantland really significantly. Maybe it's after True Detective. I just feel like I've kind of uh, regressed to some sort of television appreciation mean where I like a lot of it. Yeah. But I haven't. I think that I have kind of grown out of or like like aged out of needing a show to be the show. Right. And I have because I haven't had an obsessive show in a while. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think Mr. Robot might have been the last one. And I think I've seen a bunch of stuff over the last few weeks that I think were like pretty good. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 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 one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about is with the TCAs going on this weekend, which is like the uh, Television Critics Association. They come out to Los Angeles and uh, heads of networks and there's show panels. Everybody gives these sort of speeches about the state of the television union or what's going on with their network or their show or whatever. And a lot of the debate has been about uh, Netflix's numbers. Yeah. And whether or not. Um, there is so so Netflix doesn't share its numbers publicly in terms of how many people are watching these episodes. And NBC or someone who works at NBC did a presentation. It's it's is pretty sketchy. Yeah, that was like here's what they hired a firm. Thi- yeah, and and they, and they di- I mean I I I might be wrong in my read of this, but it sounded like some of the way that they were like detecting what people were watching was through like sound like sonar like. Have you seen the movie Ex Machina? It's, first of all, it's really good. A lot of good vulture posts on it from like, you know, like March, April. You know, in that movie, there's a lot of data, like mind. Yeah, from data like grabbing. Yeah. Cell phone stuff. So I'm sure that's what NBC did. Well, whatever they did. It's, I don't it's, really it's, think it's that. Un- By the way, litigious members of the NBC Universal family. I don't think you it, did that. Any, in any case, their numbers didn't sound like totally accurate. But at the same time, I think that the overall message that they were trying to send, they were sort of successful in sending, was even if these numbers aren't accurate, Netflix's um, sort of hold on the popular imagination of how yes. popular their shows are is the, the, the like Master of None is not more popular than The Grinder. No, right. So basically, they were like, our our sense is that like every episode of Narcos, whatever, is watched like three million times. Right. So three million viewers per episode. Or Jessica Jones is it Our million. sense of that? or That's what, that's M- what they said. Yes, NBC. right. It Ruff- was like two, yeah. Roughly that. And but, that Amazon had said that Man in the High Castle was this most popular show. Which means nothing. And I think that they had their number at 2.1. This is what this it, report said. Here's the, and these numbers have all been disputed. You know what I mean? And Netflix came out and was like, those are all wildly wrong. Right. But the thing that's so fascinating about this, and I, I think that uh, other people have made this argument, so I will repeat them when I say it. Netflix basically is in a they can do whatever they want but their position is pretty untenable because basically they are saying um we won't tell you our numbers but we'll brag about them yeah what they're doing though is is really brilliant because in even if i think it's super super shady because we've we've already talked we've talked about this a lot but in general i think people understand that like the wide gulf between the conversation economy Mm -hmm. and actual economy this is this is a good conversation so basically you know the fact that you, you remember there's that quote that pauline kale the new yorker critic had about like when when richard nixon won re-election she's like how could he have won no one i know voted for him sure yeah um for people 
certainly who have podcasts or they talk about TV, but, you know, uh, but people who, who really love con- having conversations about, about television the way we do, Mad Men, you watched it. You had to watch it. Everyone yeah. you knew watched it. Mad Men's ratings were very, very small. You know, Mad Men's ratings were like one twentieth of Big Bang Theory. But the people who watched it love to talk about it and love to, um, you know, in the same way that, uh, you know, like a, a comic book show, like The Flash on the CW has... I don't know how many viewers per episode, but every one of them will buy a copy of Entertainment Weekly if the star of yeah, that show is Yeah, the, the, the engagement cover. is very deep. Um, right. And so what Netflix is able to do by not actually putting a number or a face on those numbers, on that enthusiasm, is just act like everyone lives in Pauline Kael's neighborhood. So Making a Murderer, which is a show that was very popular with people that I follow on Twitter, yeah, um, is on the cover of People magazine. I don't know if they have any sense of how many people actually watch this, but they figure people who watch it care enough to buy it. So that's the economy they're well, working in. Well, I think in. that that making murders, I, I think that making murders a little bit different. I I would put Narcos and Jessica Jones, a master of none, in this most recent run of Netflix shows that I think got quite a bit of coverage and quite a bit of discussion, but probably did not put up numbers that were commiserate to the amount of conversation that was happening to them. Right. And not only did they not, you know, AMC can't hide how many people watch Mad Men. But we don't even know if anyone was really watching this outside of like the 500 people who were basically writing about it and reading about it. Mad Men or something else on Netflix, these Netflix shows. I'm sure they did fine. Here's the the only the the counter to it is that you have to remember that everything that Netflix is doing is is it's the goal is different than an episode of Grandfathered on Fox. Because what Netflix is doing is building its business and its company and building its library because they know. They saw this coming in a very smart way, but nobody wants to give their stuff to them anymore. Right. Nobody, you're not going to be able to like binge watch the future, whatever Breaking Bad is in the future. It's not just going to be waiting for you on Netflix right. anymore. So they need to build their catalog. So I every, almost thought it was pretty funny that the source or the like the, the association of this report was with NBC. Yeah. Because who's killing themselves over this is like while they watch Friends turn into a, a phenomenon. Exactly. 30 years after it was on or whatever. Or 20 years after it was on, like, exactly. and they were sitting there watching Netflix be like, every, Netflix and chill pretty much, like, comes out of people being like, I'm watching all of Friends. All of Friends. Yeah. All of Friends all the time. And, and, then, it, and they're, it's, it must be absolutely maddening to see that happen. Exactly. And so, you're, when, you, when you look at, like, I don't know, 4 million people watching an episode of Jessica Jones, that's 4 million people who have watched it since it premiered in the last two months. Right. Netflix plans to have it there forever right with future seasons which will make more people buy it and more people trust them more people work with them so when they announce they're going to spend five to six billion dollars on content that sounds insane but that sounds insane when you're comparing them to um you know cbs it doesn't sound insane when you compare them to their number one competitor which is amazon and amazon's business model since it, you know for the last 20 years has basically been we will keep spending money to invent things to increase our perceived value and our potential value right and that alone will make us profitable that's you know amazon i think until recently had never turned a profit they because were they was, pouring things back into the company they right? just kept pouring yeah. into the company and innovating and innovating and then like the thing that's actually making the money is their cloud servicing which was like not even something they were paying that much attention to right. um but but you know regardless this is like a long way of saying um we've talked for so long now about the and and john landgraf at fx who gave a speech this week about he he was sort of the like original person who said peak TV is coming. This was there's going to be 400 shows last, on in 2016, year, yeah. and we're going to be overwhelmed. And I think you know it's I, I've read a lot recently about the 
scarcity of attention basically like the idea that attention is a finite resource that yes that we're maybe maxing out in terms of how much you can what kind of return on investment you can expect in a, in a piece of content because of just how spread thing thin people are yeah and i just i mentioned it because of and this is like a very only barely related to billions but i do feel almost now more like i did in you know the like end of high school and college when tv was just on yeah and I, I, I really liked Billions, but I would be fine checking in on Billions in three episodes. Yep. Or, or saving Billions and then watching it like well, on a Sunday or something like that. Like, What else is out there that you feel differently about? Like, I, I think um, like Better Call Saul comes back next month. Yeah, we, I love Better we, Call we Saul. We love the first season. Yeah. But I, I don't think, love it as much as I love Breaking Bad, though. No, but you it's know different. What? But I really, I mean, I really like it. But I just mean that Better Call Saul is not in that world. No, I mean, there's a different context around Better Call Saul, and it's it's actually almost a little bit of a show out of place and or out of time. It moves slowly. It has its own rhythm. It does throw those dance sequence curveballs at you, where they'll do an episode about a different yep. character, or it'll be funny, or it won't be, or it'll be really sad, or it'll be you about have no idea what the season yeah, is going to be. And um. I feel like I, I want to watch it every week, basically, when it's on. But there's just so much more competition for eyeballs right now. And for I, being... what it, like People... I can think of like 15 shows this year already that I'm going to be like, I pretty I kind of want to check that out. I don't want to check out London Spy. I want to see Unreal Season 2. I want to see but the, all these another, Netflix... I want to see The Get Down, but you know? Maybe the... Yeah, The Get Down looks good, but that's not coming till August now. Um, I think maybe one way to look at it is tears. And so... The way I think about Better Call Saul, I think, is also the way we... So, do you put Saul on Thrones level? No, not at all. What I'm saying is there, there's Thrones... At this point, Thrones is at the top, you know, both because it's good, but because... And obviously, we're, you know, professionally engaged with the show, but um, in covering it and having fun talking about it, but that it is so... Um, it's just infectious when it's on because yeah. everyone cares about it. It is a, it is a leftover, holdover from that era, from the Breaking Bad era, in terms of just, like, for those 10 weeks... It's just so fun to think about and talk about yeah. and and engage with. Um, the other another tier that I think is is a little bit that this type of television isn't new, but I think singling it out or separating it out from the pack in this way might be is the tier that I would put Better Call Saul and Fargo in, which is boy, it's great, boy, it's fun, and boy, am I just happy that it's around. I'm so it's like joyful, right? It's pleasurable to watch these shows, and it makes me really happy, right? Have there been weeks when I I skipped to Fargo or I skipped to Better Call Saul then caught up to the next week? Yes, because it's not on that level of I need to see it at that moment, but I'm just thrilled that it's there. Um, and then there's a the third the the the, the third level, which is now it, don't make fun of me, but I've like I've seen the the fourth season premiere of The Americans, which you know is my favorite show, um, and it is so good. It is just devastatingly good it's it's one of the best episodes i think they've done it's also an episode that is basically shrugging its shoulders at the hope of anyone new ever watching it right every first the every season premiere up to this season we've talked about this where i was like i just feel like at this point i don't have the time to go back and watch a lot of people said and and actually we mentioned before alan sepinwall was saying this to me when we were chatting about its lack the americans lack of emmy nominations which is just being like it's never going to get any yeah. because it, those, that mass of voters isn't going to catch up now. The show has now seemingly acknowledged that. It's, it has the ratings it has. It has the safety that it thankfully has on FX. It's fine for this season and maybe another one. Who knows? But the other season premieres have cast a wide net and been like throat clearing. Here we go. This is our story for mm-hmm. this year. This episode is, oh, remember what happened last season? Let's just drill deeper. And 
that was wild for me to watch. It was artistically thrilling and really engaging in the same way that like the first few episodes of Transparent Season 2 were. But those felt like very... Um, like it was going inwards. Privately tailored, introverted experiences. Yeah. Which is different than what we have been talking about before. Um, but that is the direction the TV is going in in general. Right. Um, but Man, I wonder whether or not, I, you know, it, when, to hear you talk about it and to think about, um, you know, the thing that you said about some of those DC CW shows mm-hmm. and how they kind of have like a core passionate audience that's super into them. And then like I'll, I'll watch like five seconds of one of those shows and I'm like, uh, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not not dissing. I'm just saying like that's just what happens. I wonder if that's going to keep happening. I wonder if television will, unless you catch like a generational comet by the tail in terms of like a Thrones or a Walking Dead or this is, and we're talking about a very specific kind of television because on the other side there's like scandal and how to get how to you oh. know how to get away with murder and and all, all those CBS shows that still have pre mass audience. Yeah, or even sitcoms like like um like the blackish, the Goldbergs fresh off the boat. Like those are really good strong. Yeah, I actually I mean I've sitcoms. enjoyed like I watched a, a couple I, I really enjoyed the grinder. I mean it's Grinder's really good. Yeah. It's you know, nine million people are watching it and that's nothing compared to what sitcoms used to get. I I threw I pulled that number out of my ass. I don't know. It's something it's a bunch of millions of people sure. watch that show. But we're not talking about it the way we're talking about these. Right. Shows. I mean, I don't think sitcoms ever really unless they're kind of groundbreaking or cause to, yeah. you know I don't think they, they really um, resonate tend to, to to spark the kind of conversation that happens at the other shows but I wonder whether the future will be an archipelago of of television shows where they aren't really connected to a massive monocultural conversation but you'll have like a bunch of people who are just like unreal is the best thing on television and a bunch We're, of people who will be like no I mean yes sure it might be but in my world better call Saul is. we're there yeah, and that's actually one of the things that made me um, th- okay. That basically that's why I got tired of of being a you know a daily or weekly TV critic or whatever I was at Grandland because imagine imagine being in the Australian Coast Guard. Sure, Australia is all coast. It's pretty big. There's so much coast you have to cover. Yeah, great food scene too. And you can't. It really sounds nice, especially a lot of places in Sydney opening to compete with Melbourne. Anyway, I don't know how you can cover all of those bases and cover them thoroughly, especially when a lot of what the coverage you're going to be doing is. Okay, I'm going to check in with the Berlantiverse and check out Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Boy, this is well done. This is fine. It's not for me. Right. But I feel that I need to touch base and check in with this. Um, you know, oh, here's another new thing. I got to keep up with that. I got to check in with this. Meanwhile, it's unclear if the model that I'm enacting, the, the, the way that I'm covering these things, if is that even servicing the way people are watching TV? Because, for example, I just, you know, just to pull something out of nowhere, like when I, on, someone on twitter today or yesterday was like thanks so much at me um for recommending fortitude which was a oh yeah the bear one which is a british um it was a co-production and it was on your man tucci was in that it's on pivot yeah stanley tucci and and michael gambon i mean it was very good very enjoyable very small show that i think i reviewed last january yeah the whole point of the tv business now is to be profitable a year from when you debut or two years from when you debut and to have this long shelf life but to cover it in the moment is i don't know who that's servicing yeah it's kind of, it is probably like hurting kittens a little bit and and then you the other thing about it is you pointed out to bring this full 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 circle nbc was you know crying foul about this but nbc's model is the one that depends on no one upending it 
for Netflix, they couldn't care less. You know, when I'm like, oh, I don't like the binge model because I enjoy having the conversation, keep the show afloat, and I like watching it at the same speed as other yeah. people. Or even being cynically professional, being like, I can't keep up if I'm writing about every episode if you do it like this. They don't care about any of those arguments. That is not um, that's not their business. And now we're seeing it trickle down and seeing other people experiment with yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that that's... Like, like TBS with Angie Tribeca, which is the police squad, like ridiculous i mean that in a good way like um, naked gun style goofy yeah. naked gun style comedy with rashida jones they debuted the show by by just running the entire first season with limited commercial interruptions on a sunday right and now they're going to show the show because they're like we bought this thing what are we going to do with this thing it, it it is absolutely not like so do you feel like week at a time what anymore. happens is then these shows come on and there's a ton of talk about the beginnings and then there you can go and find conversation about the endings but because there's not the week to week here we all go together holding hands into the season finale of mr robot yeah or the season finale of game of thrones thing and it's like oh you'll you'll finish jessica jones but, when you finish jessica by the way jones. I, I would put robot in that first tier that we were talking about well like, mr. Okay, so we, should, we, so... we should check or we, we should say that this is sort of a personalized worldview of like i mean because walking dead arguably should be in that tier too just we just happen not to like that show that much yes but i also feel like the thrill and enjoyment of just being caught off guard and rolling with it and having fun with it i don't know maybe i'm wrong i think people really enjoy you know millions of people really enjoy watching walking dead and seeing who gets eaten or not but it the show is what it is at this point it's not like innovating or surprising in the same way sure but anyway i interrupted you. no 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 i was just saying that there's there, there's a way to look at this. I and mean, we're talking about tiers. We're not necessarily making qualitative distinctions as much. We're, we're saying, I mean, maybe we are. Maybe we are sort of saying. We're just inventing this as we Yeah, right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that I, I find that I haven't had as many conversations with people or even just like read stuff online where with these streaming shows, it does feel like it falls off a cliff after the first initial, like, did you watch the first five House of Cards or the mm-hmm. first five Jessica Joneses? And sometimes you'll just see stuff and it'll make reference to, like, we're talking about that thing that happened in episode six of yeah. Daredevil. And I was like, well, I didn't get to episode six yet. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'll just read about that some other time. And I think it's a difficult way. I mean, I think that there's a little bit of attention from the way we talk about television from the way television is actually being consumed now, probably, where it's not exactly... They're not as harmonious as they were four years ago. Right. And, you know, to go back to what Landgraf said, they're making, there, there were 400, I think he ended up counting 412 scripted yeah. shows in 2015. They're going to be more in 2016. That's just a lot of people coming up with a lot of story and spending a lot of money on making a lot of expensive productions. And it's not, they're not going to get watched. They're yeah. going to get watched eventually, maybe. But I think it's going to, there's going to be a breaking point or not a breaking point, but there's going to be a point of, there's definitely going to be a point of, of, of friction or, or rupture w- when you tell these people who are pouring their hearts and soul into writing the script or performing on location or doing any of the things that they're doing that, you know, everyone has an ego. They want people to see what they're doing. They want people to engage in it and they want to have that hit of validation or engagement quickly. Yeah. To be told that you're just, well, you're, you're adding long-term value to the content bank of a major corporation. That's sort of tough. You know what I mean? Like you kind of want the people who make things, actors, writers, producers, they want to surf that wave of, of attention. Right. They don't want to be told, you know, it's nice that they're getting paid to make it, but I don't know if it's as gratifying ultimately to be told, well, we made it, you made it, but, you know, hopefully someone searching while, while stoned at, you know, three in the morning 
seven years from now will come across what you've made. Right. Well, speaking of actors who are searching for attention. Yeah. I thought we would talk about a business that's in no trouble whatsoever. Sure. Has no uh, image issues. That's Definitely the not movie business. Yes, the movie business going great. Good job by you, movies. Um, there are actually other. We 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 want to talk more about just sort of some of the nominations here. Uh, the Oscar you, nomination. Yeah. Did you have any takes on the diversity stuff that you wanted to? Did you want to talk about that at all? Well, I, I think that it's it's. I think that it's tough. I think it's absolutely disheartening to see that all of the nominated performers are white. Um, I don't think that's reflective of the country. I don't think it's reflective of the talent in Hollywood. But I also think it's tough to save the ire for the Oscars because the Oscars are just, you know, a made-up party that they throw to celebrate themselves. The Oscars itself, they're not the ones making the movies with the opportunities. They're not the ones casting people. They're not the ones making those decisions. And I think that institutional bias exists in institutions i mean it's right there in the name right but to ascribe specific motive case by case when you're like well isn't it insane that the only nominations creed and straight out of compton got were for the white people involved in the movies to ascribe specific examples of of uh of bias like that to an organization an amorphous organization of thousands of people is challenging yeah um I think it was pretty heartening that um, the, the head of the academy wrote a letter today, you know, applauding the success of the, the nominees, but saying this this does not reflect the industry or the industry the way we want it to be. And so we are going to do some serious things to investigate our, our voters, um, not investigate the voters, but the, the makeup of the votership, which is important. Yeah, I hope that this is like the convulsion that the industry has to go to go through so that in three or four i mean like hopefully sooner years we're not holding up creed as like but what about creed i mean i hope there's like 15 creeds i hope there's 50 creeds you yeah know? i hope there are people should film check made, out films made by uh a wide variety of people of, of diverse backgrounds telling to, diverse stories and that's rem- one of the remember our buddy rem from from grantland uh and from, from just like our buddy he wrote a piece in uh new york magazine for vulture uh for, for both, I think that were, it was about Ryan, a feature on Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan. And one of the things that they just kept hammering home was just like, we need to be telling our own stories and we need to be telling stories that are set, you know, whenever they're set, they need to be told from our perspective. And Coogler was talking about, you know, you, you go and you have meetings with these guys and you're just like, just put me in the room, like, just give me the opportunity and let me tell this story. And don't, yeah. you know, don't try to like market test this into existence. Just you got to give people the opportunities. And that's, one of the things that I think I hope comes out of all of this stuff is beyond awards. I mean, screw that. Like, I just want to see more movies. Yeah. I want to see more interesting movies. I want to see unique yeah. movies. I want to see versions of stories that I've never seen before. And to, to your to your point about Ryan Coogler, I hope people also check out a speech he gave um, about the importance of film criticism and specifically he's talking about the variety critic justin chang it's it's a it it, it, the speech went went viral you can find it on probably on your facebook feed but the point that he makes is really it's really crucial it's a it's it's in the arts but it's kind of a life point and it's it's exactly what you said like you you just we want new stories we want new voices we want new faces um you know, there are a lot of, if you go line by line, like in terms of the people who are nominated, my feeling with this year, you know, if you look at the acting categories, 
I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't, for me, there, there was no one that I was like, I've, there's nothing I found egregious. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff I haven't seen. There's stuff I haven't seen and things that I have seen and in general, like respected performers who often do good work and they probably did good work here. I don't think there was bad intention or bad motives behind some of the people being nominated, but it was just like, well, who else could have been? What else could have, or big picture, what else could or should have been in 2015 to push the Academy and to push the industry forward? Right. Um, what what else stood out for you from all of this? Um. I guess that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just remembered one other thought I had about the diversity with the Oscars. Yeah, go ahead, because let's, let's finish that. Which was just that um, I was getting on... When I was getting on the plane, not this... I, when I went... I was gone on a plane to Florida, and uh, as I do. And um, as I was... In, the, the flight from, from New York to West Palm Beach is generally an, an, an elderly flight. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and so I was getting the flight, and there were some uh, older people, older folks. Yeah behind me and as we were like making our way into our seats they were having a conversation about about the about the cinema and one of them was talked about creed and i was like oh oh boy i wonder what these these older folks think about creed and they loved it and they were talking about how much they loved it they were like and that star oh i love him when the other one was like he was on my he was on friday night lights and i was like wait for it and they were like that's my favorite television show ever. Oh, I love it. And I was like, yes, Grandma. Yes, I love you. And they were going, oh, it's so wonderful. Isn't it wonderful to see him succeed? He's so good in movies. And the other one was like, he is. Do you know what he was really good in? And I was like, come on, Fruitvale Station. Come on, Fantastic Four. And they were like, straight out of Compton. They're like, did you see that? And they were like, or they, I think they called it Compton. And they were like, oh, he was very good in that. He was very good in that. And I was like, oh, Grandma. But honestly, I think Grandma was a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. That that I just felt like she that could probably was, name Eddie Redmayne's entire filmography. filmography. But yeah. you know what I mean. But I feel like that was reflective of what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's sure. Like we want the best for the one person we can think of, and then that's we're not really engaging in this on a more serious level. I guess uh, you know when we were, I was watching the Golden Globes with a bunch of friends out here, and we were sort of, I think when when the Revenant won. And also when you were kind of looking at the the list of nominees, I mean, I, I liked a lot of movies from 2015, but I think when it gets boiled down to The Revenant versus Spotlight, you're kind of like, eh, we ever, is anybody going to remember this year? No, I mean, because I, I, I'll say it again. I think Spotlight was essentially perfect, but I, I, I agree. That it, is the kind of movie that wins because, boy, is that a good movie. Right, exactly. I, I You know, I think... The, Which maybe that's all it needs to be. I made it sound like that's, that's a small thing. What's interesting is for some of these people, younger people that are up for some awards and we were joking around about this earlier we were going to say like rather than guess who's going to win oh yeah we were kind of maybe going to talk about what they should do next or what or what we like to see them do what we would like to see them do next and uh you know we're not going to presume to tell charlotte rampling what to do next she's been slacking <laughs> i like your pitch you had a pitch for what she should do next that she, she should be in she should be in 14 hours the sequel to 13 hours <laughs> the secret soldier of benghazi europe's, charlotte europe's secret soldiers yeah um let's i'll throw some out so what, let's do alicia vikander first what do you think alicia vikander should do next whatever she wants i gotta say this about about <laughs> about your girl i was a little dubious because uh -huh. every time like every year there's a new actress that is the actress of that year who gets all the parts like yeah. who sort of gretchen moles the game and no disrespect to to gretchen she's been on the come up for a minute though she has and just because i hadn't seen the movies doesn't mean she doesn't exist right so uh and then I saw this film that's called Ex Machina. Do you know about it? <laughs> Have you seen this movie? Maybe you don't read Vulture.com. At least not last spring. Yo, she's so good. 
She is really good. Uh, and here's here's what I want to you know what I want her to do next more than anything else. I want her to do a Born movie. Oh wait, she is. Except, is she? Yeah, she's in Born Five. But real talk, here's what I want her to do. I want her to do a Born movie where she gets to be born. Like, oh I, right. I'm really excited that she's in the new Matt Damon Born movie because we are gonna do. You guys aren't ready. We're going to do a week full of commemorative shows about this. We're going to do a show for each born We're going to do a show where we're just fighting each other with phone books. <laughs> we, that, with rolled up magazines. That might be tonight's show. <laughs> I, we're going to do a show where you have, a, you have a microphone and a portable rig, and I'm in a field somewhere with a long-distance rifle, and you have to find me in the field while I slowly bleed out. Okay. But, you know what I mean? I would like to see her mo- do a movie where she gets to be... Born. I agree with you. She was great. She had she had she said such a great couple of years. She was great in uh, Anna Karenina. Oh yeah, she was great in uh, Man from Uncle. People were talking about Royal. I Affair. see Tate nodding his head back there. Real heads know the deal with really. Yeah, is, is late Tate, period is, Richie. Is Tate a Richie head? <laughs> wow. Um, and I thought she was obviously amazing in Ex Machina. Um, I did not see the Danish Girl. Uh, what do you want to see? From the homie Tom Hardy. Wow. Because Tom Hardy is sort of like the one of the, the real true thought leaders in the game. Yeah, can I can I be real about that? Sure. I don't have an answer for it because he's going to show it to us anyway. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Tom Hardy can do anything and really, really would like to do I will do just anything. say one thing about Tom Hardy. Yeah. He has been hiding his Inception charm from us for a while. Oh, yeah. And he's been like, what I need to do is be a guy who's been scalped. That's a really great quote. And quotes point. from the Bible or wears a Bane mask either in Batman or in other movies because he's got that Bane mask on for most of Fury Road, too. In many ways, he's and always had it he on. And he has, um, he's got a hell of a movie star in his locker. You know, he doesn't always let it out. He's He likes to do the, like, Brando immersion. He can do a Cary Grant thing. Yeah, You're totally and, and right. it's like, and I just, I just miss... He's so friggin' good in Inception. Who's gonna make the? Who's gonna make Charade again? Like obviously not like Jonathan Demi remake Charade, I mean, but like put him in a movie. Have we like not that. talked about Hardy Hardy for Bond? I think we've talked. I think people have talked about. It. Have they? Yeah. Because I feel like it's it's either Idris or is it, who else gets talked about? I think Hardy gets talked about. Oh, now, he does. To be honest, but I I don't um I don't want to see him do that. I want him to see. I would like to see him because he's be going to play another fur trapper now, right? I'd like. Well, no, he's in that show. You, you he's he's got a, the show that he's like working on with the guy who does Peaky you Blinders. You could right? make a case that James Bond is the original fur trapper, <laughs> but but yeah, you he's have do, been so ribald tonight. I'm so tired. I just assume that these mics aren't on. Um, yeah, he's doing a he's doing an FX thing with yeah. with, with the dude who made who made uh, uh, Peaky Blinders. Yeah. And that movie Lock, which we loved. Right, which is all about getting the poor right. Getting the get that getting that deep poor. <laughs> um Okay, I, I got I got two for you. Has anybody ever made a lock tribute video where they just lock they play like different future tapes while he's driving around? <laughs> I assume Can I we assume... get t- t- how long would it take you to make a mashup video where it's Locke driving around listening to March Madness? I think Tate has probably been doing that this whole time. <laughs> I, two, yeah, I, two more before we then, then, then yeah, we, should, we, can, we should jump out. Um, what do you want to see Leo do? Leo's going to win this. Oh, year. I got this already. DiCaprio's going to win the Oscar. Good for him. He's great. He, he, he Leo stays winning. Yeah. What would you like to see him do? I'd like to see him not play a historical figure. Yes. Yeah. Just, just, I Leo is due for. 
I, you know, he's due to be in like a Will Ferrell movie and I don't want to diminish the brand, <laughs> but I feel like once he wins this Oscar, can we just chill for a second? Yes. And he's really, Stop he's really so ripe hurts. for a self, uh, lamp, a self lampooning comedic role or just something where he plays a lawyer in a Grisham or, book, you know what I mean? Like Grisham well, I movie. like it when he, like the Quaalude scene in Wolf of Wall Street. Like I like it when he undercuts his own, his own yeah. power, charisma and authority. Sure. Um, Maybe we end on that one. I mean, I yeah, who, that's good. Who else do you? Anyone else on this in any of these lists that you're? No, I'm. I was gonna say Rooney Mara, but I just you just wake me when Kate gets nominated. Okay, stay with the right Mara. Stay winning. We're gonna let Andy go to sleep. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next Monday. Uh, I'm sure we'll keep the billions talk alive for the next few weeks. Sleep well, Baranski.